Ladies and gentlemen, my guest today is undeniably a badass musician. I know her from her solo acoustic shows and her band, Dead Rockin' Horse. She sings, she headbangs, she wears more leather than the entire members of Motley Crue. Please welcome. <laughs> She's showing me the t-shirt right now. I'm actually wearing a Motley Crue shirt right now. <laughs> Please welcome Marden Chaplin. Good morning. Well, it's still morning where I am, darling. How are you, Wally? I'm doing pretty well. Actually, I've never done uh, a podcast this early, so this is a, this is a first. All right. Usually cool. it's night. I don't see myself. This is way too much light. I don't oh, like rock and rollers and sunshine. I know. No I, bueno. I know. I don't like the guests to see me either, so it's much better for their, their eyes. They can concentrate on their own, you know, on themselves or interviews. But Oh, stop it. I know, I know. So I try to do your name in a Scottish accent. But because I know, I don't, I, I, damn, nailed it. I am Scottish, actually. I, well, I was just going to mention that because I figure you are Scottish descendants, right? Yep. 100% Celtic, Scottish, Irish, and as much as we hate to admit it, a little bit of English. Those. <laughs> just kidding. We're friends now. A little hey, bit I, of Welsh. I, yeah. yeah. All of that, uh, that European white girl blood, I guess. <laughs> you know what's funny? I love going to Europe and Scotland uh, spe specifically. Um, Whenever I go to Scotland, I just fall. In, that's my favorite country. I don't actually want to live in America. I want to live in Scotland. I really do. Well, it's a little harder than that. But, but I also have friends who are in London who are awesome. And, you know, whenever I talk about Scottish history, they're like, oh, fuck. You don't want to hear this shit. So there's <laughs> that rivalry. Yeah, I mean, it's not, it's not quite the same now, obviously. But, I mean, there, there's Four always a little bit of like, oh, the English. Yeah. yeah, bastards. Yeah. I have never gotten to go to Europe, not yet. We're, my band and I are hoping to go, um, we're thinking September of this year, we're hoping to make our first jump over to Ireland. Oh, that'd and be awesome. It would be uh, a dream. Yeah. Like, what do they call us? Um, like, plastic patties, I think they call us, like, Irish and Scottish people living in America who have never actually, like, been to Scotland or Ireland, but we're still all about, like, yeah, yeah, I'm Irish, yeah, I'm Scottish. They're so, like, yeah, the hell yeah, less. <laughs> is that the was that plastic cups? Is that what you said? <laughs> plastic cups. Plastic patties. Ah. Like like a patty, like an Irishman. Yeah. I've actually never heard that phrase, but okay. We'll, we'll go with that. Well, does that make you feel like, uh, well, I mean, it's not your fault. You were born here in America, so. Yeah. And in, in true Irish American fashion, I've always been too fucking poor to go. Sure. <laughs> now, do you know the history of your Scottish family, the descendants? Oh, God, my mom does. My mom has done our ancestry and traced it back to the kings of Ireland and all this stuff. I love stuff. that. That's so fucking awesome. I love yeah, that. My mom has done our ancestry back to, like, I think the farthest back she's got is around, like, 1100. Or oh. not, not with specific members of the family. You know, they weren't keeping records like that back then. But yeah. the family lines, the clans, everything like that. My mom knows it all. It's really, really cool stuff. That is pretty awesome. I wish my mom did. Uh, I asked her and she's like, you have to ask your grandparents. And I asked my grandfather. He's like, uh, I don't know. You have to ask. So there's always like ask somebody else. So that kind of sucks. You can go on. Um, I think my mom does ancestry and you can actually find like photocopies of the documents where maybe great grandparents might have signed the book at Ellis Island. Like you can actually yeah. see all that stuff, that documentation. It's fascinating. Actually, that one of the reasons why uh, I always thought that Outlander is perfect for women because I mean, women, well, specific women, I guess, 
certain women's love the uh like the whole 50 shades of gray kind of thing and i thought that went well with history too which that was my favorite part of outlander was the history i mean the sex thing was okay because you know any guy boobies ooh, yay but, <laughs> but i love the history part the most i mean the part where you know they're going out into the highlands and the, you know just all that history so i thought you would pro- i thought about you because i thought that you would probably watch it because it would I don't know. Maybe it just remind you of some stuff. Um. Yeah. I don't know. I honestly. I don't watch that much. I don't watch that much TV anyway. Um. I don't know. My days are usually spent like <clears throat> playing with my my three year old daughter who is miraculously asleep right now. Um. Yeah. I don't watch a lot of TV, but lately, yeah. The only thing I've really watched is Cobra Kai. Mm-hmm. Do you watch Cobra Kai? So I am a huge film buff, and uh, I am very critique about everything. Now, yes, I've watched it, <laughs> but. It's like my eyes are glued to it. Like, I, I got to keep watching. What's going to happen next? What's going to happen next? But I know it's like horrible. Some parts are horrible acting, especially the kids. But Oh, yeah. <laughs> but, but I feel like they did that on purpose to keep that 80s nostalgia. You know what I mean? I think there are parts of Cobra Kai that are deliberately cheesy and bad. Yeah, and it's yeah. part of the, like, they, they, like the, the music, everything. They, I think they do it on purpose. And it's like so bad but so good in the best way you know what i didn't think about that you're probably right because the whole uh the soundtrack to it the music behind it you hear it it's like dun, dun. it's like that doesn't make sense with the sh- with the, the scene but I there think it does you know what maybe uh like you're making a modern show in the cheesy style of all the 80s stereotypes like the rock music the poorly choreographed fight scenes <laughs> Like um, Sam LaRusso, Daniel LaRusso's daughter. Yeah. The, the acting is so bad. She is so annoying. She, like her character, even the, the shots and the angles that they take, she's literally like a character on an after school special. Yeah. It's if it, like, it's like, Robbie, Hillary... like a bad kid, like, you know, turns into a good kid. It's like something like straight out of like Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles or something. I don't know. It's like Hillary Duff decided to be in the Karate Kid movie. Something like that. Yeah, but they I swear they're doing it on purpose. And it's yeah. weird. Were you a fan of The Karate Kid, the original ones in the 80s? Yes, my dad and I watched it about 10 million times and I oh. wanted to be like I wanted to be a ninja warrior. And my dad actually taught Shotokan. He practiced for 35 years and out of those 35 years he was a sensei for 20. Oh wow. Yeah, but I never I never learned. I didn't have I didn't have the focus or the discipline when I was a kid. Yeah. I was this artsy, nerdy, weird, disorganized. I just, I didn't have what it took to practice at that time. Yeah. I actually wanted to talk about your childhood a little bit because I know you have a daughter and I wonder, do you think about like nostalgia stuff or you know, do you reminisce about your childhood when you start seeing her learn something new, you know? Oh yeah. Having, having children it's just it's magic and you start to remember all over again what those cool feelings were when you were three and something as small as a bubble or a leaf or everything was just a big deal everything was new everything was magic and wonderful and so you know me having gone through like a lot of years as a relatively jaded adult with some real shit going on and happening in my life and been down a lot not that I, I try not to let that stuff like show in public, but I think there's some crap. But when I am just playing outside or even anything, playing pretend, picking the ball back and forth, inventing stories with their stuffed animals, 
you know, my, my daughter is named after my grandmother, Evelyn, and I'll be playing Barbies or whatever with her and remembering just being her age and sitting on my grandmother's living room floor and my grandmother just taking all this time to invent these stories with me, with my Barbie dolls and all this stuff going on. And in my mind, that, that was just huge. I lived in this whole little world of dolls and my grandma and it was fascinating. And yeah, having children can really bring just that magic back into your life. It's it's hard to explain. Make you waffles and pancakes. Make you waffles and pancakes? Yeah. You hear this? What waffles and pancakes? Yay. Yes. And so I'm now in my kitchen. <laughs> I know this is just an audio podcast, but you can see me. So yeah. you're about to witness my waffle and pancake making skills. Well, you know, I've always wanted to start a cooking show on podcasts, so oh, this, yeah? this could be my uh, my annex to that. Dude, if you ever want to do a cooking thing, I will throw down with you. I only know how to create cooking. I don't know how to cook cook. Like, I'll just make stuff up. You mean like, hey, I have these ingredients. How am I going to use them? Like, and throw some stuff together and it ends up awesome? Yeah. I needed to feed my nephew and niece, and they're both very picky with food. And I was babysitting them, and they didn't eat much. So I, at that time, anyway. And so I threw in this, and I'm going to tell you, which I'm telling the podcast world now, so now my secret's out. But <laughs> I made this special sauce where I blended ragu sauce and uh, Fredo sauce, and then I grated Gouda cheese into it and let it like come out creamy and tomatoey, but cheesy. And then I added shrimp and stuff like that, and then the whatever noodles that sounds awesome i know it's actually pretty pretty delicious i'm proud of that one you should be that sounds that sounds delicious it was the same feeling when i first my when i wrote my first song and uh the first song was because of the girl remember in miami that broke my heart uh-huh that one so Wait, she no she's different than the one who started out really quiet yeah and then oh yeah. yeah 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 different girl yeah yeah Okay, trying to, trying to keep track of your love life. Yeah. Well, I was, I was thinking of um, how did you start off as a New York musician? I know you – did you start off doing, like, open mics, and is that your, yeah. the route you went? I did, yeah. I, uh, I always knew um, that the end goal, I wanted to play hard rock in a band. But when I got to New York, I had not really spent a significant amount of time developing, like, my real guitar skills or anything like that. I just kind of was like anybody else who had an acoustic guitar and, oh, yeah, I could play. Um, yeah, I went to my first open mic ever. It was at American Trash on 77th Street and 1st Avenue. It was December. It was snowing. Um, I had never actually, like, played in front of people before. Um, I had this Epiphone Les Paul that was in not – it was um, – not in great shape. I had, um, I went and I played Danzig's Mother and some other original song that I had just pretty much forced myself to finish writing. What was it called? Um, it now goes by the dollar song. Um, and I was terrible. I was so bad. And this guy named Dan Steingard, who still does the open mic there, well, New York's on lockdown, but was slash still is when the pandemic lifts, um, running the open mic, just the nicest guy and um american trash had this special going on it was like five shots of whiskey for ten dollars it was jim beam and so i bombed on stage 
went straight to the bar, asked them to put all those five shots in one glass, dug half of it straight out. And then Dan comes over and he's like, hey, I saw your set. Was this your first time here? And I was like, uh, yeah, man. <laughs> and <laughs> he's like, you know, you, you've got a, you got a pretty good voice. I, th- I think you should I think you should come back. I think you should keep going. And I was like, really? So I started going back to America, America Trash Open Mic just every single week. Um, got a little better. Started branching out to other open mics. Eventually, I see you. And then eventually I got my first actual like set set at 87 Ludlow. I can't remember what it was called then. It was Union Bar or something like that. It was on Ludlow Street. Um, yeah, and I played. I got 11 people in the door. I made 10 bucks. Well, you know those clubs, they take, like, when you do an acoustic set, it's usually, like, you know, they keep the money from the first ten people that come through the door, and then you keep anything after that. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah, I played my first acoustic set, and then started playing more acoustic sets, and then eventually I met David Alba, my bassist in Dead Rocking Horse, and we started a band, and played our first show at Arlene's Grocery, and Woo! just kept going from there. Till they had a baby, left New York City, and now I'm in Nashville, so they go. <laughs> Uh, let's not rush through this uh, process of the podcast. <laughs> oh, did, did you ever heard of this uh, musician called Lee Aaron? I was no. just going through YouTube and um, there's this Canadian band and I looked her up afterwards, but uh, she she reminds me so much of you, like her voice, her okay. style a little bit. I, you got to check her is out. She's like you super a, rad and awesome. She's pretty badass. She's from the 80s too, which is kind of, oh, cool. it kind of makes sense because you love the 80s, like you and your karate kid and all that. Oh, heck yeah. Cobra Kai. <laughs> like you, you can't yeah, he for nerds. <laughs> Sorry, um, just watch season three again. Nerd. Uh, like, <laughs> did you hear that? <laughs> yeah. No, I have Evelyn saying things like nerd and lame. <laughs> <laughs> now, who was your influence yeah, well, for me, it started It started with seeing the 80s hair bands on MTV, and then, like, the first music I really discovered was Aerosmith, when Get a Grip came out in 91, 92, something like that, I believe, and the video for Crying with Lisey Silverstone came on Ooh. MTV, oh, right, well, you are like, woo, like, she's hot, and I was like, oh my god, she's so cool, and I wasn't allowed to be watching MTV, I'm like, seven or eight i'm at my grandma's house of course my grandma doesn't know that i'm watching mtv and that video came on and she was just the coolest thing i'd ever seen and i love that song crying because it actually had the same chord progression as papa bell's canon mm. which was my favorite song at the time i was only allowed to listen to classical music and <laughs> it, yeah dude <laughs> just, I thought it, was just, it was interesting this um, is this is the, this is the part where your daughter should say nerd <laughs> Yeah. That's when she should have queued in. But then I got Get a Grip and I started listening to it and started collecting all the Aerosmith albums. Wow. And for a couple of years, yes, Nerd. Yeah. There you go. See? Um, I was going to say, you know, I think I always connected you with uh, Guns N' Roses because I think but that's was, how I first. Aerosmith first. Yeah, because I remember the first time we met, which I think we barely remember, both of us anyway, uh, but uh, uh, it was at that Brooklyn, I, I don't know why I keep forgetting that venue. Yes. Um, you are my fact check. <laughs> you are my official fact check because I can't remember shit. Oh, kid, kid. <laughs> I know, but I can't. Uh, 
yeah, everybody everybody thinks of me like GNR and everything. Um, yeah, Aerosmith was the first though, but yeah. Guns N' Roses like Slash became a great guitar player because he was listening to Aerosmith Rocks, which was an album that came out in 1976, and that was like that was the album that made Slash actually like pick up the guitar and get serious about music. So yeah, you know, I always looked at Slash as like closer to metal than anything but i mean he's such a blues infused kind of musician really i mean his style is just beautiful and when you wrote the song whiskey and water and then there was that bridge part and you had that guitar solo you i don't know i thought of slash but you told me it was joe perry which which kind of makes sense now that i listen back at it well it's it's kind of it's kind of both i mean it's 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 really a very simple solo it's all in the pentatonic minor with a lot of uh I don't know, a couple, like, I have a tendency towards some slightly atonal bends where I, like, won't won't bend the full or won't bend, I'll bend, like, a quarter step or, like, bend a, a step and a quarter or something like that, just a little bit off. And that's that's a very Joe Perry thing. But a lot of the the sweeter bends that really hit hit the note and hold or the, the vibrato and the rounder tone, that's more slash. But um, for me, I think it's a good example of how, like, all your influences come together and they'll come out as kind of like a composite you know yeah. there's there's slash in there there's joe perry in there there's some Dwayne allman in there like this one big bend towards the end where it just kind of holds like that's kind of stolen from this from melissa the allman brothers um so yeah we're, we're all just a composite of the people that we love and listen to i want to talk about whiskey and water because i want to know the influence or the you know the reason behind that song how did that come about for you um, that's okay. I'm, I'm going to try to do the short version here. Um, so I was dating a, a, a really, really good guy and we'd been together for a while. And while we were together, my drinking, just being a young idiot in, in New York, just free, no responsibilities, really started playing all these rock bands. Well, I started like drinking way too much, uh, which led to him breaking up with me. I would get this really bad personality when I drank and he got sick of it. And so he broke up with me. And then six days later, my dad died. And this was someone that I really loved. And we're still friendly to this day. Hi, Stephen. Uh, if you ever listen, but um, he won't be. But um, yeah, and it, it, it absolutely, it, it just crushed me. And um, there's another artist that I knew from New York named Daniel Wayne, who had a song called Pubs Crawl, which those, like those opening chords, um, very, very similar to a song by this, yeah, this independent artist that I was a friend and fan of. And I was, let's see, Stephen had broken up with me and my dad had just passed away. I came home from the funeral in North Carolina and I was alone in my little apartment in New Jersey, mattress on the floor. And I uh, had my guitar and I sat there and I actually kept drinking. And um, it just, the song just came out and uh, it's got all these biblical references in it and Really, the song was based on the fact that, uh, like, um, promise you, I'll drink more water than whiskey someday. Right. Was I mean, I had a few chances before he actually cut it and ended it. Yeah. Like he and I didn't, I didn't listen. I kept being like, oh, I'll change. Oh, I'll get better. Oh, I'll stop. And then I just never did. And so it's like, mm -hmm. I'm, I'm lying, my love, because I need you and want you to stay. When I promise you, I'll drink more water than whiskey someday. And then I yeah. just, at, at the time, for a while, I just, just didn't. I was full of shit. <laughs> now, 
I know exactly what you mean because I think that the significance to that song means so much to me is because I kind of went through the same thing. Uh, I didn't have a death, but uh, same thing, relationship. I was drinking way too much. And uh, I did have, you know, an ultimatum kind of thing. And I said, yeah, sure. And I would hide and sneak away, you know, you know, and that's why the perfect line in the song, well, the elephant in the room is, is a bottle, in my, the bag. bottle in my bag. That's right. And I just like, oh, that is so good. <laughs> <laughs> now I don't have my a whole bag. life smells like a circus, but still you can't see the red flags. Like, yeah, we both, uh, we both know it's there. We both know it's a problem, we, but no, who's going to, who's going to bring it up? Yeah. Oh God. <laughs> to me, it hit, it hit home. So it was a, and yeah, it's I, used so have, I used to have a bottle of a water bottle of vodka in my purse everywhere I went at all times. And some people, some people started to figure it out. Some people could smell me. They were like, she's not too drunk. We don't know. And some people could just tell. <laughs> and I think it's more about once you start to get deeper into the addiction, you start figuring out what you can and can't get away with. And just really just learning how to get by throughout your day. You're doing everything that you can to like your addiction is like, it's like yeah. your baby. You're doing everything you can to like protect your baby. You don't want to, you're not going to act wasted. You're not, you're going to cover up the smell as much as you can. You're going to make sure that you're performing all your functions, doing everything that you're supposed to do. So nobody has anything to call you out on. But you can keep that nice little buzz going so your anxiety goes away. So you feel just kind of warm and safe and okay going throughout this cold, cruel world. You got your little buzz and nobody has any reason to call you out and say, oh, hey, you're stumbling. Oh, you're slurring your speech or you missed this or what's wrong with you. You're acting just fine. You don't give anybody any reason to say anything and you get to maintain and keep that safe little buzz you know it's and it's a very dangerous place to be i'd say that that level of addiction is even more dangerous than people who visibly show it and are going crazy and going off the rails because at that point somebody can intervene and say hey you've done something that gives me a reason to speak up and say this is a problem when you're being sneaky about it you just slowly are killing your liver killing your body killing your life and the effects are so slow and so subtle the next thing you know your life is just about in the trash heap and you don't even know how it got there and nobody else really saw it coming either. Insidious is the word. Word of the day, folks. Insidious. No, it makes perfect sense. And uh, it also relates to, well, you were talking about your father, um, your father's death, and that is symbolic to your band's name, right? Dead Rockin' Horse? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, my dad, now my biological father lives in Pennsylvania. I haven't spoken with him in like eight years, whatever. Mm -hmm. The man that I consider my dad married my mom when I was eight. And so, yeah, he was a tough guy, had a really, really interesting life and just badass mother figure and never believed in making excuses. And he had it as tough as anybody and he grew up and he made something of himself. And he always said, don't tell me that you grew up and now you're a serial killer. Because when you were a little kid, you had a rocking horse and it died and nobody fixed it for you. And so I named my band Dead Rocking Horse because we started it like a few months after he Mom. died. And Mom. starting the band itself was a testament to like not making excuses, not laying down and, and dying Mom. myself. Like you got to get up and, and do something, you know. You take yeah. your grief, take your depression, and use music to pull you out of it, and it did. 
Um, and I think the first time I've seen you, now I've seen you with Rocket Queens at that uh, Brooklyn show, but the first time with your band was at the Bitter End. The Bitter End. <laughs> I keep messing that yeah. up. I'm just going to rename the, the venue. <laughs> I remember like the, the songs that really stuck to me were, you know, Better Run was one of them. Oh, now, thanks. I know. And now, as I, I think I told you this too, that whenever I listen to music and if it's like something that really catches me, I really go along as a musician, as if I'm playing with the band in some way. Mm -hmm. And so Better Run to me makes me want to play the guitar part because it's just, it has that fun, like you there's spaces enough to like headbang and you know move around if i wasn't singing i know you sing when you play it's like no get out of breath it's, no better run I, I love to play that one because it's like it's just head on power chords and then a solo and then more power chords and uh it's a lot of fun it's really easy i can teach it to you it's just like c sharp minor yeah it's like between e and c sharp minor the other one i like playing along to uh, but it would be in drums would be a violent love. Um, yeah. Oh yeah. I remember we talked about this one last time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Live. That one's a lot of fun. The recording. Oh God. I hope this is, I hope this doesn't reach the ears of, uh, our guy who recorded it the first time. You're a nerd. Cause it wasn't his fault, but the way that song was recorded, I, I pulled it off the internet as much as I can. Cause it sounded like some, Avril Lavigne poppy kind of stuff when that's that's meant to be a really mean punk song and so yeah. it's and it's it's a real song it's about I was working at this place do you know Amsterdam Billiards in the in the East Village no. South Union Square mm -mm, all right no. it's, it's this giant ass pool hall and I was I was a waitress working there and um oh long story anyways it's, it's a very very true story and so we're looking at bringing that one back live but thanks for remembering the actual songs, man. Not everybody does. Uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, I, you know, I can't remember. Um, I mean, as I'm getting older, I can't remember people's names anymore. I used to be sharp with that. I don't know what happened. Age and probably a lot of whiskey and less water. Uh, um, <laughs> but uh, I think it's just if, if it has good. Uh, hooked to me then it just stays in my head music stays in my head more than uh words and all that so maybe that's i don't know that's my thing but um you have two versions of whiskey and water right you have that the lp was it and uh because there was two versions i heard one was a little bit more slower and the other one was a little bit faster tempo yeah well that song ended up getting recorded twice um David Alva and I, the the bass player who was like my best friend in Dead Rocking Horse was really our band. And we did a five song EP and our friend who is a um, just super talented musician gave us a very, very good rate to record five songs. So that was the first time that Whiskey and Water was recorded and it was a little bit on the softer side. Um, like, you know, at that time I didn't have any credentials in rock and roll. So is um, this is going to sound like such a tool way to put it but like no one understood my vision <laughs> like nobody understood like at the time no like no nobody got the fact that i wanted like hard rock and everything and everybody was still trying to keep everything kind of like toned down and more poppy and more melodic and i'm like no so we recorded you know recorded the five songs 
Um, then a couple of years later, I recorded three more songs. I re-recorded, I recorded Better Run. I did a song called Soul Saver, which is actually my favorite. And redid Whiskey with some bigger chords, just different, a little, little bit um, more involved production with a guy named Dave Caggiano. Um, he did, do you know Midnight Mob? No. No, okay, okay never mind. Um, I, I feel like I have, mother, I'm going to... I'm going to write this down. I feel like I have a homework to do and just to look up a bunch of stuff you're naming. <laughs> but, you know, it's yeah. fun. Yeah, I don't know. Local local bands, you know what? Mo and most of us aren't together anymore. We were we were all there for a certain time and place. You know? but, um, but anyways, yeah, I re-recorded Whiskey and Water to have like some some bigger guitar sounds and and everything like that. So it's the, it's the same song. Every, everything is exactly the same. Except yeah. I like change one chord from major to minor at the end of the solo, but yeah, it was just do bigger production. Do you remember the first time when you played the like your very first show? Yeah, it was Ar at Arlene's Grocery. Yeah. Okay. Oh, you know, speaking of, we were just uh, now. This isn't like a plug. I, I totally forgot. No, that, please that was... plug it because I still. When little one goes to bed tonight, I'm going to tune into the uh, the live stream. Finally, please yeah. plug Arlene's Grocery. I just did a special interview with. Um, Blue, who's a GM at Arlene's, and uh, she was representing for the interview. And, you know, we plugged the show right before the the Benefit show aired. So it was a, it was a good talk. And, uh, yeah, we can both talk about Arlene's forever because that's what I think that's my favorite. That, I know that's my favorite venue in New York City. Oh, it's, know, it's yours. Yeah. Hell okay. yeah. So your first show, what was it like? Like um, our first you, show at Arlene's. Did you puke? <laughs> you no. nervous? Yeah, I was nervous, but we were just a little band, and I think we had like an eight o'clock slot or something like that. Um, now it wasn't. I had done a bunch of acoustic shows, but it was it was my first show with fronting and playing lead guitar in my own original band. Um, you know, one of the reasons Arlene's is the best band or the best um, venue in New York is because they always give new bands a chance. Like you're a brand new band. It's your first show and you haven't proven anything yet. You can't guarantee a draw. You can't do anything like that. Arlene's Grocery will give your new, potentially awesome, potentially shitty band a, a slot at an eight o'clock on a weeknight or whatever, or, you know, give you a, a place to open up for, for somebody. And then you go in there and you prove yourself. And if you do well, then they're like family. And at any time, all you yeah. got to do is just, hit him up and say, Hey, Arlene's, we need a show in this kind of time frame. Can you do something for us? And that's, you know, I mean, like Arlene's is home for independent brand new bands with no cred, no backing behind them, no nothing, just real bands. You go to Arlene's and that's where you can get your foot in the door of the music world. Like yeah. just I mean, playing to, live, to, just New York city rock and roll. There's nothing like it. Everybody yeah. else is all snobs. Like, Oh, you got to sell tickets first. You got to prove that you can bring this many people and blah, blah, blah. No, fuck that. Arlene's is like, all right, you think you're good? All right. Here's an eight o'clock on a Thursday. Let's see what you got. And that's yeah. how it starts. Yeah, I agree. And to me, it's family, you know, like I, I the people there, the staff, everyone, it, you know, I've hung out with them and they're just, just a bunch of funny people, um, energetic and straight as an, a true New Yorker. Like they don't, you know, they also don't take shit too. Oh. So it's 
oh, this is perfect. Yeah, dude, there was a guy um, named uh, Kevin who was managing there like, a few years ago, and I was looking for a side gig, like weekends or evenings, on top of my my day job with the finance company. And I had like auditioned to be a bartender there, and uh, I wasn't fast enough. <laughs> I didn't make the cut. But Kevin was like, "I'm so sorry, man." I'm like, "No, no, no, it's cool." But from then on, while I while I was still drinking every now and then, like yeah. every time I came in, if Kevin was working, he'd always buy me a shot because he felt so bad because he turned me down. Yeah. Well, that's funny because uh, it would have been a whole different story if we were, our friendship would have probably started as bartender, um, pa- patron, or whatever you know, instead of your music, music nerds. <laughs> yeah, music <laughs> nerds. <laughs> no. For right now, as long as places like Arlene survive, that's at least one good thing. Now you live in Nashville right now, so it's it's very different from New York City. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know you're a true New Yorker. I feel that. And uh, I wonder how do you handle that? Because I lived in Virginia once and I went nuts uh, because I have so much energy and I just can't. I need it. I needed another city like New York that has so much energy anytime. It could be at five o'clock in the morning. It's not dead. It's still awake. And it would just bounce back energy to me. Now, I don't know how you do that with Nashville. I'm not sure either, to be honest with you. Um, <laughs> that's a tough one. Um, you know, one of the things is I came to Nashville already, first of all, as a mother. So, I've got my child. So the small town energy here, having my baby be able to just, you know, pack her up in the car, go to the grocery store. That's, you know, as far as being a parent is concerned, then sure. That's great. Um, Cause once, once I had my baby, you know, life, life changed. I'm no longer like the wild little 20 something just bumping around New York in my leather jacket with my guitar on my back and hopping from subway to subway and going from Harlem to Brooklyn to Chelsea to Queens to back again, all in one day. It's not the same. Um, also I didn't live in Nashville all that long and get much of a chance to get into anything here before the pandemic. Hit. So I'm going to say that I, I haven't really gotten a chance to give Nashville a chance just yet. Yeah. Um, you I mean, know, I, interesting because I, I, as when I left Virginia, I, I felt that too. And when I started visiting, I started going to bars that I never went to and I should have tried around the city. And I started having a little bit of fun. So maybe it is that maybe we're just holding back in the beginning because we don't see it as New York or a big city like that. But um, well, I'm, you know. I'm really watching my words here because I don't want to sound like a snob or. <laughs> yeah. You know, when I left New York, I had to quit my job, leave my band, leave my city that I loved, leave everything that I had worked for. And then I found out that my little girl was on her way and I just didn't have a support system in New York to stay there. You can't have a newborn and roommates. My drummer, what's up, Mike? If you listen to this, Mike Little, awesome drummer, has has become, yeah, he's become uh, one of the best friends I've ever had. He's an incredible drummer musically um he's been able to hear things and songs that i never thought would see the light of day and help bring them to life and so it's not a total loss being in nashville no i'm not a country artist so there's not a huge market here in nashville for the kind of music that i play i just hope uh, i don't know you move back to new york i guess that's what i'm trying to 
Honestly, darling, if I could snap my fingers and just and go back to the life I had in New York with Evelyn with me, I would. I mean, I'm still in New York like uh, once or twice a month, um, yeah. something like that, but it's not quite the same. Life will take us where it does, yeah, you know? Yeah, true. You're not Strong even in New York. You're in some island in the Caribbean. What are you talking? I know. <laughs> yes, Wait, I am. Am I not supposed to say that? No, no, no. Of course. Yeah. I live in <laughs> uh, St. Croix, Virgin Islands. You're in St. Okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> now, see, I'm having the same thing, though. So, see, there's no venue for me for rock or anything. And I am going a little nuts. But this podcast is fun because I, I feel like I'm kind of back in the States, you know, talking to everybody. So this is my escape. This is my um, way of handling this island in a way, I guess. But uh, eventually I will head back to New York or Boston. I think we'll we all will, man. Yep. We're all going to reunite in New York City. A little older, you know, controlling our liquor um, uh-huh. <laughs> much better. <laughs> a little wiser, maybe. Yes, a lot wiser, I, I would say. But you have a show coming up, don't yes. you? In March? Okay. Yes. Yeah, actually, um, it's going to be our first uh, first show with the full band, me and Mike. And um, our our guy who is our, our steady bassist, TJ, he's... He's booked for something else, so we're going to have um, a really cool kid named Dan. He's going to play bass, and we're going to go to my hometown. We're going to stay at my parents' house. <laughs> and uh, my, well, my mom and my step-pop, just not to confuse the stories, but my step-pop, he treats me like his own. He's, you know, he's Evelyn's yeah. But anyways, it's my parents' house. Yeah, we're going to go play a place called a Pack That Craft Beer and Wine Bar. Um, <laughs> a wine bar? <laughs> Craft beer and wine. Oh, no, they've okay. got everything. It's just okay. Uh, no, it's a cool place. Um, we're gonna go play our first set as a as a full rock band. My hometown mm-hmm. in, in North Carolina has only ever heard me do just like acoustic stuff. They yeah. don't know like full. I think people who I knew for a few years even they don't know like the whole rock thing that I do. Yeah. Like, they've never done it. So well, they will know now. So. Yeah, and so that's on March 6th. And so, yeah, we're going to drive home. And I wish I could be there because I... Uh, I wish you could too. Well, we're going to yeah. film it. Oh, speaking of Arlene's Grocery, actually, we're going to film the show. And then another friend of mine, Aletha, is putting together another little benefit for Arlene's. It's going to be a bunch of us who are just filming stuff independently mm-hmm. on our own time, on our own turf, whatever. And it's going to be another thing like the live stream last night where you know, just buy a little ticket. Ours is going to be less. Mm-hmm. We're not filming it at Arlene's, but, um, you should yeah. watch it. Um, I love the beginning intro to it, which was, uh, I guess I don't want to spoil it for you. You have to watch it. Is it Morgan? <laughs> uh, no, but it, you know how it introduces Arlene. It goes into the, it goes down the stairs and all that. And as soon as I started seeing that video, I'm like, Oh mm. God, I miss walking down that stair. Went down to the bathroom. Mm-hmm. Or, or down into the venue. Well, no, yeah. it came from yeah, from where the uh, musicians bring in their instruments mm-hmm. into the venue and all that. Yeah, mm. I know. So you gotta you gotta watch. It's the beginning. Kind of it's kind of fun. It's cute. Yeah, as soon as the munchkin goes to sleep, I'm gonna stay up and watch tonight. <laughs> yeah. Well, Marin, I want to thank you so much for uh, for your time. I mean, you're you know I adore you. You're and I respect you so much. You're one of my favorites. Um, oh, I love you too, Wally. And, and uh, we were going to talk for 20 minutes. It's already been, it's been an hour. <laughs> well, the last time we were going to talk for half hour, three Turned hours. Three. 
It's all right. <laughs> we got deep. Uh, it's but, all right. Uh, um, it was fun. It's fun. It's always fun with you, and you're always a blast. And I can't wait till we uh, connect in person again. And uh, hopefully, it'll keep... be at Arlene's. Yeah, um, that'll be that'll be a beautiful reunion. Wouldn't that? All right. Let me wish you a good night because I know you have your hands full uh, being a, a mother and all. And, and uh, it's nine o'clock. It's about toothbrush time for babies. So. Yeah. Um, thank you so much. I'll see you soon. And bye, Evelyn. You nerd. Nerd. She's over there playing on her chalkboard. Uh, now she doesn't come. Right. All right, Marin. Take care. You too, Ollie. All right, folks. Well, that was Marin Chaplin. Uh, I can't thank her enough for her patience. I did have uh, computer technical difficulty and all that, and I had to redo it. And, oh, my God, the patience of a mother. She has it to the millionth power. Um, thank her so much. Well, that's the show, folks. Uh, tune in to next week. And also, thanks, as always, to the podcast anthem from Complicated Animals. As you're listening to it right now, we'll see you later. Later.